Today we're concluding August Hallelujahs and therefore concluding this sermon series that we started at the beginning of August that we have entitled A New Thing. Today is all about God doing a new thing. We're ending this series by encouraging all of us to contemplate what it means for God to do a new thing in you, a new thing in me, and therefore a new thing in our church as we reach out and share Christ uh, to a world in need. Today may be a time of decision for many of us here. I know that some of you are already planning to be part of the service that will go forward in the garden. But we're going to center this sermon today in a familiar story. It's a baptism story of Philip and the one we call the Ethiopian eunuch from the 8th chapter of Acts uh, of the Apostles. And we'll be reading that text shortly. But first, I want to kind of get us in the spirit of camp meeting and um, what we call August Hallelujahs. About 20 years ago when I first moved here, we had what we called the Brush Arbor Celebration to begin August Hallelujahs. And it reminds us of our heritage as Methodists in the old days when they would have camp meetings and Brush Arbor Revival, sometimes lasting uh, two weeks, and people would actually camp, and they would have these meetings with singing and, and, and preaching. And I was reading a story about uh, such a Brush Arbor meeting, and must have taken place in East Texas, but there was a, a big, powerful, um, intimidating uh, preacher who was one of the classical fire and brimstone style preachers, and he was preaching and baptizing people, right? beside a creek just outside that Brush Arbor Tabernacle. And, and there was an aloof man who had quite a reputation of being an unrepentant sinner who was sitting there just minding his own business when that big preacher jerked him up by the arm and just drug him down to the creek. He got into the creek and he baptized this man. And when he brought him up, he said, Have you found Jesus? And the man said, well, No. And then under he went again. And he held him under a little bit longer and brought him up and asked him the same question. Have you found Jesus? And the man said, well, no. And under he went again. And, and this time the preacher held him under an uncomfortably long time to the point that bubbles were coming up, you know. And finally he brought him up and the man gasped and he said, have you found Jesus? And he said, well, well no, but wait, wait, wait. Are you sure he fell in right here? Well, no one's going to be forced to be baptized today. But only you can choose to be a follower of Jesus and only you can choose to accept the call to share the gospel of a loving Savior with a world who so desperately needs to hear it. You know, a parent came into my office not too many days ago, actually, and she was telling me the experience of her college-aged daughter who grew up in this church and who had gone to a Christian camp and was a counselor. She had a great experience at this camp. Uh, it was one of those experiences that she went, you know, to be a counselor to kids, and, and yet so often is the case, she got so much out of it and grew so spiritually. She said the, um, the last day they were all gathered, the counselors, the kids had gone home, and they were kind of reflecting on their summer that they'd had together. And most of the members of this counseling staff were, were from other uh, churches, uh, non-denominational churches, Bible churches, and 
they were just going around the circle asking folk to share what church they were a member of or what church they belonged to. And, and finally, they worked their way around till they got to um, this young woman, member of our church, and she said, well, uh, I'm a United Methodist. And one in the crowd said, oh, that's the church that doesn't believe in baptism. That's the church that, that christens infants. And this young woman said, my church does believe in baptism. We baptize and firmly believe in it. My parents baptized me when I was a baby. And they took the vows to bring me up in the church and the congregation took the vows to nurture me in the faith. And, and, and they did. Said, I don't hardly ever remember missing a service. I don't remember missing Sunday school or going to the youth group. And said, then when I uh, became a young um, youth, I think sixth grade, she said, she said, I was enrolled in a confirmation class and I learned all about the church and I learned all about the faith and I learned about Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I professed my faith in whose name I was baptized. And she said, then I just continued to be part of the youth group and uh, went to my small group every week in Sunday school and just continued to grow in my faith. And, and here I am. I've spent the whole summer with you. So I want to tell you, my church definitely believes in baptism. Any questions? And as that mother was telling me that story about her daughter, I could tell how proud she was of the faith that had been instilled in her, not only by our parents, but about us, Lover's Lane. And you know what? As her pastor, my heart was welling up with pride too. That's what it's all about. It's about us understanding that baptism is not about the human response. It's about the God response. It's about God's initiation of love into our lives. It's about God claiming us first before we can ever claim God. And in our church, we practice as we did just earlier the symbol of baptism, the mode of baptism that we have in sprinkling, underscoring what Ezekiel said. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be pure. We understand the love of God as symbolized in the water being a purifying love. That God's love, when we fully embrace it and, and when we get it, it makes us new. And we also embrace the mode of pouring water. And, and just as a, it was said in, in Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, see dream, will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. And, and we embrace that kind of faith, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what happens to us when the Holy Spirit enters our lives and, and, and we walk in that way of faith, it, it makes us new. And then we believe in immersion. The immersion is the symbolism of, of dying to self, being, uh, being buried with Christ and raised to new life in Jesus Christ. You know, when we built this garden, we, we built a fountain deep enough that we could have immersions on a regular basis, and we have. 68 to 70% of our new members come into this church by profession of faith and baptism. Ever since we built that garden, and started emphasizing the importance of baptism. 
You, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say, and I even brag a little, I hope the Lord will forgive me, but um, just this past week, I kind of poked a little fun at a Baptist preacher. I said, you know, uh, he said, well, y'all don't immerse, do you? I said, well, yeah, we do. We're going to have quite a few immersions Sunday. I was happy it was Sunday, you know. And I said, and you know, I'm not so sure we don't do it a little better than the Baptists. He said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, we baptize in a cemetery. When we lower one into baptism, we baptize toward the valley of the shadow of death. And we raise to look at the women at the empty tomb in the resurrection. What do you think about that? He said, I don't believe it. I said, well, you just come and see. You know, it's fun to be with other Christians, even of other denominations, when you find out you have so much more in common than you have that separates you, right? And in baptism, we know that, that, that in baptism we say one faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism. That's what unifies us in the faith. I'd like for us to turn to Acts of the Apostles, the 8th chapter, beginning with the 26th verse. And I'd like to ask us to stand out of respect of God's Word for the reading of God's Word. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. It's a desert road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come from Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit heard him reading uh, the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. One more verse. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. 
Now, I think we may have a slide of, of that eunuch and Philip. I think we may have. If we don't, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There it is. Oh, put it back up there. I, I want you to see this. Now, I've looked through a lot of slides. You know, the Internet's so good. And there are a lot of classical slides of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. And, and then there was this one, kind of a cartoonish kind of slide. But I want you to capture the joy and the rejoicing. And, and, and I don't know if that's exactly what Philip looked like as he's taken away or exactly what the Ethiopian eunuch felt when he was baptized. But even the fish are jumping for joy. Okay, you can take it down now. I don't want them to get too excited. I want to talk about Philip for just a moment and his relationship with Jesus. Philip was a Hellenistic Jewish Christian convert. He spoke Greek. And in most of the Roman world, of course, spoke Greek. So it was a very valuable thing to speak Greek. In fact, the apostles had singled out Philip along with six others, seven so-called deacons and servants of the church. The most notable among the seven was Stephen. And in the seventh chapter, we read the story of Stephen and how he was preaching the gospel and how Paul and others had him stoned to death. And, and it says about Stephen that he looked up into heaven and, and he was so full of joy as he was being slaughtered that he looked like an angel. And here in the eighth chapter, we have the story of Philip. But the other five are Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius and Nicholas. Now, these deacons were set aside by the apostles shortly after the church began to grow. When, when Peter preached the gospel and over 3,000 people were baptized, when people had come into town for Pentecost from all over the world, some of those converts who were coming to Christ were excommunicated from their families. And, and so you had the distribution of funds that, that the church was handling and the distribution of food, which was so important. And there were widows and there were children and there were people who couldn't care for themselves. And, and, and there was a problem. The apostles who were Galileans and uneducated didn't speak Greek. And they needed people among them, outstanding leaders among them who could speak Greek and who could make sure that all of the people were being served, that all of the needs were being met, that no widow, no orphan would go without. That was their primary role. And yet they also had this role of an evangelist or a sharer of the gospel. And this is where Philip seemed to excel. We have the story of Philip in the 8th chapter, how he is sharing the gospel. And it comes to this wonderful testimony of how Philip, a follower of Jesus Christ, is passionately sharing the gospel with this eunuch from Ethiopia, the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. We see here that Peter is operating under the mandate of Jesus Christ before ascending into heaven and, and before the power of the Holy Spirit came upon all of the believers. Uh, Jesus gave them a mandate. It was a, it was a, a commission. And, and I want to read this commission to you. It's 
by way of Eugene Peterson's The Message, but, but we, we know what that commission is. God authorized and commanded me to commission you, said Jesus. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Philip is a great role model to you and to me because this call of sharing the gospel was not restricted only to Philip and the deacons or the apostles or to the early church. But it is what we are baptized into when we accept those baptism vows, when we accept what it means to follow Jesus, then we accept the role of sharing Jesus Christ in word and also in deed. The scripture says that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go, get up and go. You know, I pray that each and every day we as Christians can, can, can maybe listen to the voice of an angel or of God or the Holy Spirit's prompting to get up and go and to go into our daily lives saying as I sometimes pray, not every day, but I should every day, Lord, send me to somebody today who needs to experience your love, your salvation, your grace. And you know, so often if I pray that, God actually surprises me and I know when I meet her or him that that's the one that needed that extra touch, that needed that proclamation in word or in deed or both, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the way Philip went into his day. Hearing that angel and then being led by the Holy Spirit and here was this entourage and, and they were heading out of Jerusalem and they were going to Ethiopia. You know it's a long way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. You have to go through the Sudan, which is a huge country. You have to go through Egypt, which is a huge country. You have to go through the Gaza Strip and then you get to Jerusalem. And, and, and the Ethiopian eunuch and his entourage, he in a chariot, they were on their way back home, passing through the Gaza on a wilderness, desert road. So you don't think about there being a lot of water. And Philip comes up beside this chariot, and he hears this man, this African man, reading, reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip said, not in an arrogant way, or he'd have never been invited to get into the chariot. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I understand unless someone teaches me? And, and then Philip was invited to get into that chariot, and, and there they are reading and con conversing and, and, and Philip is sharing about the, the Lord Jesus Christ the one that the prophet was talking about the one who was like a lamb led to slaughter and whose sacrifice was the salvation of the world 
And, and can't you just see him sharing this story in such a way with so much passion and with so much joy that this, this Ethiopian eunuch was taking in every word, every word. Now, now we need to say a word about the Ethiopian eunuch. He doesn't have a name in this text. He's an Ethiopian, therefore he's from the country of Ethiopia. He is an, an African man, a black man, who has made a pilgrimage. Perhaps it was like a state journey to Jerusalem. And he was there to worship, and he's on his way back. He's also a man of authority because he's the treasurer of the country. He's the assistant to the queen, Candace. But when we read this story in Acts, it doesn't really accentuate his cultural ethnicity, an Ethiopian, nor does it accentuate the fact that he's the treasurer of Candace. It refers to the man as the eunuch. And, and as a eunuch, we, we know this in biblical days that there were some men who usually at, at an early age, were castrated so that they could become basically court officials. Especially if you were working with a queen who was in power, it, it was necessary to have those who could keep focused on the job, who wouldn't have any sexual agenda or reproductive agenda. And so these men became eunuchs, and their life revolved around their duty as officials of the court. And, and so this man, heading back to his homeland of Ethiopia, is accompanied now by this man named Philip who's telling him all about this Jesus and about how many people had been baptized and how they'd come to faith. And, and, and so all of a sudden, the the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he asked this pointed question of Philip. What's to prevent me from being baptized? Can, can you hear it? Will, will my color, my race, my culture, prevent me from being baptized? Do, do I have to be a Jew? Do, do I have to be a Roman citizen to be baptized? What if I'm just spiritual and not religious? I mean, I'm not a Jew. Will that prevent me from being baptized? What if I've done things that I, I don't even want to talk about? What if I've done things that I know couldn't possibly be godly? Will that exclude me? What if, what if I'm a eunuch? 
In all of my life, I've heard people say, you're neither a man or a woman. And all of my life, my sexuality's been a thing. I may even be considered unclean by other Jews. Does that prevent me from being baptized? I like to think that Philip gets this grin on his face from ear to ear. And in all of the joy he has in his heart as he's telling this, this Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus is just welling up. And the Ethiopian has already caught it. He's already received it. He wants so badly to have what Philip has. What's to prevent me from being baptized? And that grinning Philip said, nothing. Nothing. God's love and God's grace was extended to you before you even knew or understood what you were talking about. Nothing. Not your ethnicity, not your culture, not the color of your skin, nothing. Nothing will keep you from the waters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His grace. Not your religion or lack thereof. Not your sexuality. Not your gender. Nothing. And I can just see them jumping out of the chariot. <laughs> and jumping into the water. Of course, it wasn't that deep, so he had to be sprinkled. And Philip just disappeared. And the scripture says the Ethiopian eunuch went home rejoicing. I had a friend who was on the staff of a church of another denomination, not a Methodist. He shared about a staff meeting they were having one day, and they were talking about the past Sunday. And one of the staff members said, well, you know, I talked to a 15-year-old boy this past Sunday. And my friend said, then he kind of started getting a bit boastful, and he said, and you know, I just, I knew his grandfather had died. And so I just said, uh, Son, is, was, your, was your grandfather a Christian? He said, I don't know. Well, had he ever been baptized? And the boy said, I don't know. And, and the staff member said, and then I asked him, well, has he ever been to church? Not really. Ever read the Bible? I hadn't seen him. Son, I want to tell you, your grandfather's going to hell. And so are you if you're not baptized and accept Jesus Christ. Now, now just let that sink in for a while as an approach 
to share the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Philip didn't talk about hell. I don't think. To this Ethiopian eunuch. He talked about the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to bring in such a way that it just, it was something he wanted so badly. He talked about how Jesus came and loved the world so much that he died on a cross. He, he, he talked about how Jesus reached out to Samaritan people uh, who were seen as lesser thans. He talked about how Jesus talked to the woman at the well. He, he talked about all of these stories about Jesus' grace being extended in such a way that this Ethiopian eunuch wanted it for himself. He didn't have to be scared into the waters of baptism. He couldn't hardly wait to jump in. Friends, I hope we will be those who so share the gospel of Jesus Christ that others will say, what's to prevent me? Can I too be baptized? I want that joy that you speak of. I want that newness that baptism represents. I want to follow Jesus. Amen.